Today's sermon passage is from Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 7 through 19. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this, in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is the word of the Lord. So now, our Father and our God, because we long to know you, and we long to honor you, and we long to glorify you, and we long to praise you, and we long for our lives to be pleasing to you, we ask you to take these words that you've given to us and help us to hear them and receive them and believe them and be shaped by them. Lord, I pray that you would help me to to point your people toward you and to compel your people to follow after you. Lord, over this room, I pray that you would give the gift of faith. Anyone here who is far from you, separated from you, cut off from you, I pray that by the power of your spirit and through faith in Jesus, you would draw near. And you would save and redeem and restore this day. Lord, teach us all to walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, uh, which Regina just read for us. And here at Redeemer, we're working our way through the book of Hebrews in general. And in particular, for the last few weeks, we've been working through this passage, um, chapter seven or chapter 13, verses 7 through 19, And so today, we're going to kind of finish this section out by looking particularly at verses 13 through 16. Our sermon is entitled, Sacrifice of Praise. So let me connect some dots for you. Like this is Advent season. This is 
Christmas season. This is celebrating the birth of Jesus season. But if we take the scripture seriously, what we know is that the Son of God became flesh and was born of a virgin named Mary um, as a baby, what we celebrate at Christmas. But that coming always had the future of a life of obedience to God and a sacrificial death on a cross followed by resurrection. That, that was always the purpose of God in sending his son to be born. So when we celebrate the hope of the Christmas season, we're celebrating the hope that the son of God has come to redeem and to restore and to make all things new. And that son lived a life of perfect righteousness and perfect obedience to God. And he offered his life on a cross as a sacrifice for the sins of his people, to bring his people to God. And now he lives and reigns and rules over the earth. And so the way all that fits together for us is this. Perhaps we're asking the question, how do we respond to the Christmas story? How do we respond to the story of the Son of God taking on flesh and being born? And my answer to that would be we respond to the Christmas story the same way we respond to the Easter story. We respond to how do we, how do we respond to the Son of God becoming man in the same way we respond to the Son of God dying on the cross for our sins and, and being raised the third day. Because all of that was the work of God to bring salvation to the people of God. Everything that Christ did from his birth to his death to his resurrection to his ascension into heaven to now living and reigning over the earth today, all of it was about bringing God's people back to God and building the kingdom of God. So Hebrews 13 verses 14 through 16 are ultimately going to answer the question for us, excuse me, verses 13 through 16 are ultimately going to answer the question for us, how do we respond to the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, who died for his people? But that's also the answer to how do we respond to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born of a virgin, excuse me, born of a virgin in Bethlehem. The answer is one and the same because every bit of the life and ministry of Jesus was focused upon redeeming God's people and bringing those who were far near and those who were cut off into the family of God. So last week in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, we read, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate, in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And what we spent some time considering together was that at great, great cost to himself, particularly being repudiated by and separated from the, the establishment of the nation of Israel, Jesus purchased the salvation of God's people outside the gate, shamed, in a horrifying, earthly, horrifying way, shedding his own blood to purchase the redemption of God's people. And so the question for us is today, how do we respond to the suffering Savior who died outside the camp for the people of God? And the first answer to this question always 
begins this way. We respond to the truth that Jesus suffered outside the camp to redeem God's people through his own blood. We respond by recognizing that we need to be covered in the blood of Jesus so that we can be forgiven and renewed and restored and brought near. So I'm going to preach this sermon backward, if that's okay. I'm going to put the, the invitation to Christ right here at the beginning. Because, you know, we can do that if we want to. You know, like my preaching professor, he's not here today. I can put it wherever I want to. I shared this in the first service, so I should just tell you guys. I made a B in preaching. You can make of that whatever you need to. I'm sure someday Austin will make an A and I'll have to be fired just by like GPA. Um, But right now I'm your B-level pastor here for Hebrews 13. How do we respond? We respond by coming to Jesus. I know I'm preaching some of last week's sermon, but, but verse 10 says we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. And what he's saying is that in Christ, we have a better approach to God. We approach God covered in the blood of his son. We don't have to earn anything. We don't have to perform in any way. We don't have to make ourselves acceptable in the sight of God if we come to God through the blood of Jesus. So Christmas is that time of year where people start to to quietly slip in the back doors of churches who normally wouldn't come. And if that's you, I just want to say, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for trusting us today to share with you about Jesus. And I don't shame you at all. I'm glad you're here. Now hear this. What we celebrate at Christmas, the Son of God coming, is ultimately about Him coming to bring those who were far near. He came with, with all of us, but particularly those who are currently far away in mind. Come to him through faith. If you consider anything today, consider the glorious gift that is the blood of Jesus. Now, for those of us who are claiming faith in Jesus, belonging to his family, belonging to his church, How do we respond to this glorious gift that is the sacrifice of Christ for us? The first answer is our first point. It's a costly response. It's a costly response. But we respond to the sacrifice of Jesus by going with Jesus. Here's what verse 13 says. Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So hear this, hear this. Our place in the family of God cost Jesus his life and cost him his status in the religious community, and in the nation of Israel, he suffered outside the gate, shedding his own blood. And those of us longing to be covered in his blood must go where Jesus is. 
We cannot have the fruits of the salvation that Christ purchased without walking with him in the hard places that he is taking us. We don't get to stay in the city and receive the praise and receive the honor of man and get the glorious gifts of the kingdom of God. The gifts of the kingdom are outside the city. The gifts of the kingdom are where our Savior suffered. The gifts of the kingdom are are, are turning away from the praise of men and turning away from the acclaim of the world and walking with him in reproach and shame. If we want to walk in the glorious gift of salvation in Christ, we go to him outside the camp. We go to him outside the praise of men. We go to him outside the exaltation of the establishment. We go to him outside of getting earthly reward. We go to him outside of pursuing earthly position. We go to him willing to bear whatever reproach comes our way for our allegiance to Jesus. He bared reproach for our salvation and he's calling us to him to bear the same type of reproach. Jesus calls us to faith. That's a churchy word, but faith means, yes, believing that he's real. Yes, believing that we need him. Yes, identifying with his salvation, but faith also means allegiance. It also means I'm all with Jesus. And we can't give our allegiance to Jesus and to anything else. It is Christ and Christ alone and Christ only and Christ first and Christ above all else. So much so that he says in verse 14, for we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. What he's saying is there's nothing here and now that will satisfy our souls for all of eternity. So seek that which Jesus brings. Now, lest you think I'm making too much out of a phrase, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. I want to give you the very words of Jesus that I think drive this point home. They're recorded, the ones I'm going to read are recorded in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. But they're also recorded in the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke. Jesus said this to his disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Does that sound familiar? 
anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. What we're being called to do is to identify who we are and our hope and our identity and our security and our joy in Jesus above all else. For whosoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Does that sound familiar? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. What we're being called to here is to respond to Jesus by identifying ourselves with him, no matter the cost, because we believe that in him is joy everlasting, in him is life everlasting, in him is the fulfillment of our hope, in him is where our soul is ultimately satisfied. That is the calling of this passage. We respond to the good news of the shed blood of Jesus by going all in on the shed blood of Jesus as our only hope. I am with Christ. All I have is Christ. Everything I need is Christ. I will identify with him. We're called to go outside the camp with him no matter what we lose. Now, as we get to some application here, This imagery in verse 14 of here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. To the original hearers, I think it's responding to the city of, it's speaking specifically to the city of Jerusalem. It's speaking specifically to the temple. It's speaking specifically to the religious leaders. It's speaking specifically to their, the blessing and the acclaim and the exaltation of the religious leaders in Jerusalem over the Jewish community. And it's saying, here we have no lasting city. Our hope is not in that city, but we seek the city that is to come. We seek what Christ is ultimately to bring. So any of you stay up last night yearning longingly for your hope to be found in the city of Jerusalem? Anybody? No. So here's the question for us today. What is it that we wrap our minds around and and put our, our identity in so much that we feel like if we don't have this, we've lost everything? Whatever that is for you, what this passage is saying, It'll never satisfy you. It'll never fulfill your soul. Set it aside, longing for what Jesus can bring. Now, one of the things that Christmas helps us with is metaphors. So at my house, there's a Christmas tree, and under it are presents. Now, if it was left to me, we still wouldn't have bought anything and certainly not have wrapped anything. So don't worry, I'm not judging you. I just married a woman who does excellent things. So under our tree are all these presents. And do you know what happens the minute you put a present under the tree in a house with kids? Even 14-year-olds? Like, you know what happens? It's like a magnet. It's like a, a, a honing beacon. They're just like, Phoosh! and they want to hold it and shake it and look at it and analyze it and wonder what's in it, right? Right? They can't wait to open it and see what it is. That's my house right now. Like they're literally like, 
I think that one is for this cousin, and it's going to be this. Like, like they have, they've spent hours like studying them all. One of them for our, our 10-year-old has a picture that says, or the label says, Joseph, something you need. And he's like, this is a joke, right? <laughs> like we're talking about deep worship of the gifts here, okay? It's fine. It's fine. It's fun. But to us, I would just say, like, what if we could bottle that up? What if we could bottle up that yearning and that longing and that hope and that anticipation and that anxiety that little kids have about presents wrapped up under a tree? Like, what if we could bottle that up and be like, I'm going to go outside the camp with Jesus and I'm just going to trust that whatever happens out there is going to be worth it. I'm just going to trust that whatever happens out there is going to be for God's glory. And if God's honored, that I'm going to be satisfied and it's going to be good. Like what if we could bottle that up? Because I think that's what this passage is calling us to. Like let's bottle that up. So whatever stands in the way of us yearning for what Christ is going to bring Let's prayerfully battle to set that aside and bottle up this yearning for what Jesus has purchased for us, a better altar, a full and complete and eternal access to God and a promise that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us and he will never let anything less than his blessed goodness happen to us, no matter what it looks like in this world. Because what this world offers us is not what he promises us. It's a costly response, but it's a good response, and it's a necessary response. And I call you to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow him. Because in doing so, we will find life, life that's worth fighting for. There's a second way that we're called to respond And it's found in verses 15 and 16. So this is the second point, if you're a note taker, worshiping citizens. We're called to respond by living as worshiping citizens of the king. Now, if you've been around Redeemer for the last few months, that'll sound familiar. Because that was the call at the end of chapter 12. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And what we said is, as the children of Jesus, we are worshiping citizens. That is, our worship is acceptable to God through Christ, and we live as citizens of his kingdom ultimately. And then what happens in the book of Hebrews is verse 1 of 13 all the way down through where we are right now, are trying to teach us how to live as worshiping citizens. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Remember those who are in prison. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Keep your life free from the love of money. Remember your leaders and those who spoke the word of God to you. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. All of this is teaching us how to live as citizens of the kingdom. And now he's going to bundle all of that up and he's going to say, it's worth it to live as citizens of the kingdom. We're worshiping citizens of the kingdom of Jesus. So verse 15 says, through him, that's through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. 
Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So here's what he's going to say. Because of Jesus, let your life be filled with worship. Let your life be characterized by doing good. And let your life be characterized by generosity. But now before we look at those, I want to actually start with the last phrase in verse 16. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you're one to mark in your Bible, I would encourage you to mark that phrase. And I want you to hear this. When the people of God are trusting in Christ alone for salvation, are filled with the Spirit, and are seeking to worship and serve God, our lives bring pleasure to Him. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And I just want to state this as clearly as I can. It is possible for the life of a Christian to please God. You might be like, okay, well, what's the big deal? Well, I'll tell you, here's the big deal. Do you know why counseling centers are filled to the brim and it takes four months to get a first appointment? Because the absence of feeling the love of a mother or a father does deep dissonance in the lives of people. And wherever you, we come from, I'm not trying to go all psychobabble here, just hear with me, but those wounds of parental love or the absence thereof, they cause deep tremors and aftershocks in our lives. And it's possible to talk of God only as an angry tyrant who demands perfection from us in such a way that we have more than an earthly father wound. We have the deep resting upon us anger of God. Now, now hear me clearly. The Bible says left to ourselves, we're sinners. The Bible says left to ourselves, we're sinners who deserve the wrath of God. The Bible says that there's nothing we can do to take away God's anger toward our sin. But it also says that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take away all the anger that our sin deserved. To bring us completely back into fellowship and union with him. And so when a Christian trusts Christ, is brought into the family of God by faith, is filled with the Spirit, and is walking a biblical God-honoring life, this passage says that brings pleasure to the Father. And so it's important for us to understand that yes, God is holy. Yes, God is righteous. Yes, God is just. But when his children, filled with faith, filled with the Spirit, are walking in worshipful obedience, he finds pleasure in such living. So much so that the passage calls it the sacrifice of praise to God, meaning it replaces all those, those ancillary, secondary sacrifices in the Old Testament. Not only do we no longer need a sacrifice of atonement because Jesus is our sacrifice of atonement, we don't need the sacrifices of thanksgiving or the sacrifices of praise to be brought to the altar because a life devoted to the Lord 
is the sacrifice of praise. It is the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And what he's saying is God finds delight when his children live as worshiping citizens of the Father. And I just think it's important for us to understand and believe that God is pleased even in our imperfection when our faith-oriented, Christ-exalting, worshipful obedience categorizes our living. It's pleasing to God. So what does he call us to? First, he calls us to a life of praise. And now we might be tempted in a very Christian way to broaden that and go, he's talking about everything, but actually he gets very specific. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What the passage says here is God desires and delights in his people acknowledging and praising his name with great specificity. It would be the will of the Lord that as citizens of his kingdom, our words and our thoughts and our explanations and our joys and our hopes are expressed as praise to God. They're expressed as praise to God. So be a worshiper. Be a worshiper. Be one who verbalizes joy. Be one who verbalizes thanksgiving. Be one who verbalizes exaltation of Jesus. Be one who revisits the goodness of Christ and thanks God for it because such worship is pleasing to God. You know what else? Such worship is instructive for us. Such worship is instructive for us. Do you notice that here at Redeemer, we sing as long as we preach? Have you noticed that? We sing as long as I talk. That's no accident. Because such praise, if, if coming from a heart of faith, it's pleasing to God. But it's also instructive to us. It teaches us and it attunes us to worship the Lord. So the passage says, Offer to God this continual sacrifice of praise, particularly using your lips, particularly acknowledging his name. Respond to the goodness of the gospel by worshiping God. Second, respond to the goodness of the gospel. But the passage says, do not neglect to do good. Particularly what that means is do good to others. Do good to others. Well, are you saying that like if I do unto others as I would have others do unto me that somehow I can earn God's love? No, not saying that. It's impossible to perfectly do good. That's why we need Christ. But as the children of God, by faith in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Bible would call us to seek to do good to others. To take whatever God's given us and serve others with it. Be people who serve others. Let brotherly love continue. Show hospitality. Remember those who are in prison. Let marriage be held in honor. All of this is, if God calls us to do it, then doing so is right and just and good, and he would want us to do good to others. Love, serve, 
care, show mercy. These things testify to the power of the gospel at work within us. Third, share what you have. Very simply, if you were to tear apart the Greek there, that would mean to share what you have. Everything that we have is ultimately a gift from God that, can be, that we're called to steward for his kingdom. If God's given it to us, then we can use it to worship God, to celebrate his greatness, and to serve others. Now, friends, I'm not trying to say that this is all God has for us. But I am saying that we intellectual type Christians are prone to make a life with Jesus way harder than it has to be. Intellectually, it's not hard to understand this. As those who've received everything through the blood of Jesus, it would be the will of God that we would identify with Jesus, follow Jesus, offer a life of worship and praise, serve others, and share what we have. And in so doing, what we're displaying to the world is what God has done in us. We're displaying his goodness, his mercy, his compassion, and his grace. So just think about this as we conclude today. What if the church at large was known for deep commitment to Jesus, robust worship in all of life, commitment to doing good to one another and to share what we have? What if Redeemer Church was known for a deep abiding commitment to Jesus, robust worship of God, sharing what we have and serving one another? What if Christian Twitter was known for deep commitment to Jesus, robust worship of God, doing good to one another in what we type and sharing what we have. What, what, what if, what would happen is the saving, powerful grace of God would be on display. And what would happen is people would be interested at least to know what's going on around here that creates such unselfish, unself-centered, God-outward-oriented living. And the answer is, Jesus suffered for us outside the camp. But this passage calls us to end this robustly theological, beautiful book of Hebrews with a simple exhortation. Let us continue, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we end with this conviction. What's pleasing to God is good for man. What's pleasing to God is good for the soul. What's pleasing to God is good for the world. And we who were made in the image of God have been redeemed by the blood of his son, who have been indwelt by his Holy Spirit. We get to live for his glory and testify to his greatness. This is what it looks like to be a worshiping citizen of his kingdom. So let's leave here today with the word ever before us, worshiping citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. So our Father and our God, I pray now that you would take these words and 
as much as true and right and good and helpful and redeeming, that you would cause them to be remembered by your people. Father, we pray that Christ would be exalted here today and as we go forward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And in the piece of bread and in the cup, we're remembering the body and the blood of Jesus, which was poured out to grant us access to the Father. And what we're saying by taking the bread and taking the cup is Christ is everything and I will follow Jesus and I trust that he welcomes me into his family. So here at Redeemer, we invite anyone who is a a professing Christian, anyone who has professed faith in Jesus and made that known to this church or to a faithful church um, in another place, we would invite you to take this bread and take this cup with us. And what we're saying is Christ is everything and I belong to him and I will follow him and I will worship him. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd ask you to let the bread and the cup pass, not so much to restrict you from something, but to point you to something far greater. What your soul needs is not a little more bread and a little juice. It needs to know Christ. So today I would ask you to consider this. What would it look like for me to believe that Jesus is my Savior. I'd ask you to pray about that. I would ask you to think about that. And I commit to helping you wrestle with that if that's where you are. But if you've never professed faith in Jesus for salvation, do please let the bread and the cup pass. So we're gonna sing. We're gonna take this bread and this cup. It's gonna be passed out and I'll come back in just a minute and we'll take it together.